Welcome to episode 351 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on August 30th, 2023. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss the topic or recent news and how it relates to you. It's hurricane time or python time, or maybe the hurricane is bringing pythons? This week, Scott and Ben catch up on some of the latest news around Power Automate, Microsoft Entra, and Microsoft Excel while they look out their windows watching Hurricane Adalia whipping the tree branches around. It was a dark and stormy morning. Yeah, we're back to hurricane season. Yes, which means we get to sit here and record and watch the trees gently swaying in the breeze. Yeah. If I keep turning around like this, it's because uh, it's gusting. More like whoosh. You're looking. Whoosh. See, I have mine right out here. Coming through the backyard, so we'll see how it goes. I don't have to completely look that way. I just look out my window here. Right now it's really still, but yes, I'm the same way watching the gusts every once in a while. The trees start madly dancing in the wind. Oh, look at you. You've been playing with chat GPT and poetry, haven't you? Yeah, no, I should. <laughs> I should have chat GPT write a poetry script for the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. We have not, I don't know about you. We haven't gotten much rain. It's supposed to be windy later today. As it gets a little closer to us, we're supposed to get 60 mile an hour winds, but really no rain, which I'm disappointed in because. I'm cheap and I don't want to pay for water to fill up the pool. And we're not getting enough rain to fill the pool back up. Yeah. Well, it's it, a hard it life. Happens, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll see how this one's going. Folks on the Gulf Coast are getting it. Like they're, we're, we're, into, we're into landfall time right now. So I was, I was watching the news before we hopped on. But once again, Jacksonville gets cleared out. So. You know who didn't, though? This was interesting. I was talking to somebody and they were like, I don't know if this has ever happened before, that Valdosta, Georgia has a hurricane warning because of where <laughs> it was coming in through the armpit of Florida there. There's like very little land between the ocean and Georgia. So it was like just blowing right through Florida and it was still going to be a hurricane when it got up into Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. It was. Something climate change is real, y'all. Like maybe when your insurance company started upping the prices, we should have all gotten the <laughs> gotten the idea. Or just dropping you because they didn't want to insure your zip code anymore. There, there's that too. Not that ever happened to me and I'm bitter about it. Yeah. I need a coffee. It was a long ways away. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. All right, you got coffee. I've got coffee. Let's go ahead. You've got news. Get into it. Where do you want to start today? Where do you want to? I don't have my articles up. Just a minute. Browser, I was getting my coffee. Where should we start today? I can guide you in or you go ahead and pick one. No, you're all set. It's your show. Pick one. Oh, let's pick one. Let's pick the integration of Power Automate telemetry data with Azure Application Insights. You went the other way. I didn't think you were going to go that way. You didn't think I was going to go this way? This one's your exciting one, huh? I don't know if this is exciting. This one's a little older. How's that? This one is like a week old at this point in time. Yeah, sorry. I messed y'all up. I'm jumping all over the place today. I don't think there's not a ton with this one. This was an announcement back last Thursday on August 24th that you can now go into your Power Automate and go set up certain data to come out of Power Automate into Application Insights. So this can send things like cloud flow runs and Power Automate. I still think they need to call them automation since they changed the name of it because 
Anyways, triggers, action level data from an environment to app insights. And it's really just like a click, click, next. You go through export to application insights, select what you want to export, and then power automate. And it's really those three categories. And it just shoves it all into insights for you, into log analytics. So you can go look through it. You can also take multiple environments into a single instance. So I know I have some companies that have multiple instances. It'll be interesting to see how much data eventually gets added. Like one of my peeves with Power Automate is I will get, I've built some very complex flows for certain customers. And when something goes wrong or something errors out, it says failed in the run history. But if you have these flows that are running like 100, 200, 300 times a day, and they only load 10 instances or 20, I can't remember how many it is, but it's like the last 20 runs in the UI, and then you have to scroll, and it's like the whole continuous scroll, then you wait for the next 20 to load, and then you scroll and wait for the next 20 to load. It's not very easy to dive through power automate runs to view things like which actions are flowing and when they flow and try to dive through the details of what actually happened or even going and looking at a historical one that maybe completed but didn't do what it was supposed to because that happens too where it doesn't actually error out but it doesn't work correctly. Having some additional data to be able to pull out of these Power Automate flows and really analyze the data and analyze these different actions and what happened with them would be very helpful. I don't know that this is there yet, but hopefully this is a step in ingesting those logs into some place where it's a little bit easier to query them, dig through them, see what's going on within your Power Automate environment. Yeah, so Nifty, a little bit, maybe limiting in its first iteration, but that's okay. It's in preview. I should have called that out just to reiterate. Like Preview, not for production, blah, blah, blah. So maybe it gets better. So there's probably some things for folks to watch out here for if they've never done done App Insights before. So App Insights is, like you mentioned, it's its own little service that sits on its side and takes a pretty heavy dependency on yield log analytics and log analytics workspaces. Think of it like a wrapper layer on top of log analytics that gives you ultimately a way to interact with the data in the background in your App Insights in the same way that you would with the log analytics workspace. It's our old friend Kusto again, sitting there ready to go. But I think a couple of cool things that happen along the way here, like even with the limitations, like you mentioned, there's only a couple different types of telemetry you can catch. It's not like you can put like a custom event in your Power App that's then writing to that log analytics workspace unless you want to wire that all up yourself. There's no built-in nicety for that. But once it's all there, now you've got all of the requests for your Cloudflow runs, and then all of your Cloudflow triggers and Cloudflow actions that you mentioned, uh, they also land in a dedicated table as well for dependencies. So once all this stuff is sitting there and it's ready to go, then you can start getting nifty with it because there's other things that you can start to do. 
What if you wanted to create a an, an alert through App Insights and Azure Monitor that goes and looks at a particular flow and actually alerts anytime it fails? Hey, now you can just spin that up and do it. So that's all nicety and, and ready to go. You mentioned multiple environments. There is a note in the documentation, not in the blog post, shockingly, that calls out when this feature goes from preview to GA, it is only going to be available for managed environments. So you're going to have premium usage rights for users on those power apps. Um, I don't know why they're allowing you to do it in without premium use rights and without managed environments in the preview. That seems... Yeah, that's odd. It's like a bait-and-switch-ish. A little bit. I call it out because some folks don't always go and read the documentation before they spin this stuff up. Yeah, like me. Were you referring to me there, Scott? But yes, (laughs) I agree. To give it... I was referring to us there. (laughs) To to give it to everybody and then pull it away. That one is a little odd. We should probably go talk about premium or managed environments at some point in time, too. I don't know that we've talked about those much. Add it it to your list. Yeah, your other thing about KQL2 is nice because I also have some flows that fail once because of illegitimate failure. Uh, So whatever triggered it didn't get passed in. It failed. So maybe even my alerts for a single failure are, are different versus maybe I want to go see if this fails like 10 times in a row or fails 10 times in a certain time period. I want to be alerted of multiple sequential failures or multiple failures in a certain time frame that maybe indicate it wasn't something with just that, whatever happened to trigger that flow that particular time, but something more indicative of a more significant issue with my flow, like a service account getting disabled that now causes all my connections to stop working (laughs) or something like that. Never happens. That No, never. Or it was tied to a user instead of a service account and said user left the company and their account got disabled. That never happens either. (laughs) Yeah, all those little things. We might have to come back and revisit this one once it GAs and see how things change with it along the way. But I'm a big fan of App Insights, so I would take having this data in there over not having it in there. The other thing that you have to watch out for when you spin these up is it can create an App Insights resource for you, or you can go down the path of saying, I already have one. So in your case, maybe you have a couple apps and they're even across environments or things like that, and you want to tie them all together in the same App Insights workspace. You can do all that. You just have to be mindful in the setup that you're going down that path and not letting Power Automate make some decisions for you. Ooh, App Insights for everybody kind of thing. Absolutely. Another governance thing to watch out for. Yes, there's a lot of governance stuff with the Power Platform as a whole. It's a it's a unique service within the platform from a governance perspective. Platform is a unique service. There you go. Good way to sum it up. What's next, Scott? Which one are you going to jump to? What? I'm going to keep us in platforms. Platforms? Did you see? I know you're always excited about this stuff as, as our Mac OS reporter. Platform SSO for Mac OS 
is coming to Entra ID tenants near you as a deployable, extensible agent on macOS clients. I think this one's kind of cool. This one is cool. And you're right, I am excited for this one because up until now, we did have the Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin for Apple devices. So this essentially allowed you to set up SSO once you were logged in so that you could SSO into various applications on your macOS device. Now it is coming to macOS as a whole. So this is taking that SSO plugin, bringing it up to the next level where now you can have your platform credentials for macOS go passwordless using Touch ID, unlocking the devices, and be signed into Entra ID under the hood. So essentially, now you go log into your macOS device and you're signing into Entra ID as well using, and they go into all the, it's the device bound cryptographic key, phishing resistant credentials based on the Windows Hello Tech and some of the Apple hardware that's already there. So this is going to be cool. It's not quite. Azure AD joining your device as a whole, but it's bringing it closer to that where now you're, again, signing into your device, signing into Enter ID at the same time. So this is enabling all the SSO for all your applications. You can also, with this, now synchronize your local account password and the Enter ID password. So your user account password on macOS is also your Enter ID password. It doesn't sound like it's necessarily the same account or even the same user ID, but at least the passwords on the back end are going to be the same. So you don't have to remember two passwords if you even use a password for anything anymore. Most of mine is all touch ID, watch ID, passwordless, all of that type of stuff. This is an upcoming public preview of platform SSO for Mac OS. And it'll work with Intune. It is coming to other MDM providers soon. I would say the timing for this is interesting. So it does say your Mac OS requirements. I saw it in here somewhere, Venture and Hire. But it was also announced the same day that Apple announced their September event for Mac, which is usually also when the next version of Mac OS comes out. So it'll be interesting to see. At first, I thought maybe this was going to be a Sonoma-specific functionality that Apple did something. But with the requirement of Ventra, maybe there's some updates coming to Ventra as well, or just Microsoft finally was able to incorporate this into Entra. A nice improvement for Mac users that are using Entra ID, formerly known as Azure ID. Yeah, so... The way I ran into this one, you probably ran into it through the RSS feeds that we kind of automate and bring in. I ran into this one over on, I think it was Mastodon, somebody was chatting about it, and it was one of the PMs in Azure AD. And the way he framed it is like, hey, we're finally doing this. You can finally bring your CTO, your security leads, and your devs on board. <laughs> uh, I was like, that is so true. Like, I, I remember I, I work for, for a logistics company here in Jacksonville, and our CEO was the only user in the organization with a Mac. <laughs> that was it. He liked a Mac. 
the rest of us, like we bought Lenovo stuff, like it was free candy, but the CEO wanted his Mac. And that was like the pain point for all of us to live with. And then I was thinking about it more. I was like, oh, and our chief security officer used to be on a Mac too. Yeah, that that made life more difficult back then. Like, it's so true. Bring folks into the fold and get them where they need to be. I'd be interested in seeing how this one works. There's other components of Intune and the whole MDM stack on a Mac that maybe don't integrate the nicest. So one area for me would be, say you impose like file vault restrictions, which is basically like encryption on the Mac side. Yep. You might have like BitLocker on Windows kinds of things. Does that extend all the way down to file vault? Do you still need a local password for file vault? What does that look like? How does it come through? Because when you do things like BitLocker, like you get your recovery key stored in Azure AD, your help desk can work with you. Some of those constructs don't necessarily exist. Like they're not the same on macOS, Ventura to all the way up to the upcoming Sonoma. We shall we shall see. Yeah, it's always interesting when stuff like this comes out because I think sometimes from a marketing public perception side of things, it's like Microsoft and Apple are bitter rivals and they can't stand each other and all of this. But then you see stuff like this and it's you wonder how much, and I suspect there's a lot more collaboration between the two companies, especially when it comes to stuff like this. Or I know even some of the stuff with OneDrive files on demand. I think one of the sessions I saw, there was some partnership and working between them. But from getting their systems to work together when it comes to things like the SSO and certain features that Microsoft maybe rolls out, I get the feeling maybe there's a little bit more partnership together behind the scenes than maybe public perception always gives to <laughs> give you some of this stuff. Because it is important. Like you said, you want your C-level guys, to guys, girls to be brought into the fold and your devs and your security people. Oh, you also forgot, Scott, marketing, graphics, multimedia, those people are also usually all on their Macs. They are indeed. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running... Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intellijink.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intellijink focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. All right. So yeah, platform SSO for macOS, nifty stuff. Why don't we keep talking about Entra ID since we're over here? There's another interesting announcement that came out this week-ish. Uh, this week, yeah. Any, anyway, it'll have come out by some week by the time somebody listens to this. 
But that is that there is the ability now to do API-driven provisioning within your Entra ID tenant. So rather than having maybe some outside service that does some wonky synchronization or something else that comes in along the way, you can just go ahead and actually take your system of record. I don't know, let's say I've got like SAP or success factors or something like that. I can take the data out of there and as long as I can extract it and get it out, you can then push those changes, like when they occur in that system of record, over to this new API, which sits within the Entra provisioning service. And then that goes ahead and pushes that data out to where it needs to be. And the cool thing is, it's not only like cloud provisioning, because now you've got, because we've got the whole like intra cloud sync thing. And you do have hybrid, like you mentioned, putting all those things together. So now you can push into a single API endpoint and then say it's something that needs to affect change in your on-premises active directory. Great, that change can flow straight down from the provisioning API and the provisioning service down into what's yet another local agent (laughs) running behind your firewall and ready to go in the form of the provisioning agent. And that can do things like push users and push changes into your on-premises Active Directory. And then if you have synchronization configured between that and your Entra ID tenant, Cloud Sync kicks in, Connect Sync, like whatever you happen to be doing along the way to get you there. So I think that's a super powerful one, kind of seemed to go out under the radar. I didn't see a bunch of fanfare about it, but I think it's super powerful, super cool, and a long time coming. Yes, I agree. And I have some customers that this might be beneficial for. Like, I've done some weird stuff. I'm not going to lie. It gets a little hacky at times. But like one customer... (laughs) it's janky. 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 It's not hacky, it's janky. What about convoluted? Convoluted is a good one too. I've done things for customers, like their system, again, they have a different system of record that they need everything to go into Azure AD for. And it's things like CSV files getting emailed out of this system because they can do like regular export email reports. And then we pull the said CSV out of the email attachment, dump it into blob storage, which triggers another flow that runs a runbook to go parse the CSV, find all the changes, and synchronize them up to Azure Active Directory. Just being able to tie straight into an API, if you can go straight from that system of record instead of all the secret sauce in between them. This would be very nice. I was talking to another customer that was in the same type of boat. Different system of record, wanted to just shove everything straight into ID. And this is going to be a good solution. So this is one that is absolutely on my list and I'm excited to play about, play with, because I do have some customers in this scenario where we might be able to simplify some things for them. One of the other things to call out in here is you can give it a try and the API-driven provisioning, this is another one of those preview features, don't use it in production, yada, yada, yada. You can start using it if you have Microsoft Entra ID P1, so premium P1 license for Azure AD Entra. But then it also says licensing terms will be released at general availability. 
So if you are a brave soul that wants to try this in preview, it doesn't sound like they are necessarily committed to this only being or remaining just a P1 feature. That this, similar to the log analytics one we talked about, or the App Insights, could change once it hits GA from that licensing perspective and what's required. Again, I know they want people to try it, right? That would be my guess as to why they're doing this is we have this license now, but we don't know what it's going to be when it comes out in general availability. And they've done that before too with other stuff where it's it's free now, it's not going to be free once it comes out. I wish they would just release the licensing terms right away so that people would know, is this even worth playing with? Because I could play with it, but there's no way I'm going to be able to upgrade everybody to premium P2 or pay an extra $5 per user a month to have API-driven provisioning because it's just not feasible for their budget. So I don't know. It'd be nice to see what the licensing terms are going to be once it hits general availability. Even if you have different ones in preview. In preview, you can use it here. Once it hits general availability, it's going to be this. It just helps from a planning perspective, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's some other interesting things I think about the provisioning service as a service kind of thing and the way it's been implemented. So lots of the identity management world, like if you think about common, so directory tooling, so stuff like, I know SailPoint does this. I think Okta does this well off the top of my head, but there, there's a bunch of them that kind of interoperate based on a standard called SKIM. So the system for cross-domain identity management, I, be, I believe that is. But SKIM is basically, it's an open standard and it allows you to automate user provisioning end-to-end across all these various systems that also implement Skim. One of the things that comes along with Skim is bound schemas to work with in different scenarios. And the API provisioning service supports both of those. So it gives you the ability to map from the Skim core user schema and the enterprise user extension all the way back to the attributes in Azure AD. I think an interesting thing here is even though the payload to talk to the API provisioning service is skim content, like it's actually a specific content type that gets fired into the API. So like the content type header on these requests gets set to application slash skim plus JSON. It is not a skim compliant endpoint. So even though skim is the glue that's potentially holding things together, Microsoft is not fully coming into that ecosystem. So it's a one-way inbound endpoint. This is inbound provisioning. It's not outbound provisioning and full right back to these systems as well. So I think that's important to call out. And you do have to consume a custom API here. It's not, hey, let's go ahead and just fire this up into existing product stacks that natively integrate with Skim, like you've got to do some work to get it going. It is not a standard Skim endpoint by any definition of the record. It's also very different from, I think, Graph, if folks are looking at it and they're saying like, oh, 
why wouldn't you use the graph to do this? Fundamentally different things, like just the way the APIs are built out and what they're made to do. Like graph as being very O data centric, single user, not very bulkish. This is all just bulk upload, bulk provisioning, get it into this schema, get it in this format, do some mapping for us, and we'll make the rest of the magic happen in the in the background, which I think it's very good to see it. I wonder how that changes over time too, though. If it does need to become something that plays nicer in the ecosystem to get folks to latch onto it. Or if they just go, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this so long that I'm going to take it and run with it kind of thing. Yeah, they have a big explanation of why it's not a standardized scheme endpoint. There's a lot of good information about this in the FAQ that we threw it in the Discord chat. But if you're listening to this after the fact, it is also will be in all the show notes. If you are thinking about implementing this, definitely go read through these frequently asked questions about the API-driven inbound provisioning because it's not just a, there's a lot of information. We'll leave it at that. There's a bunch of information in this frequently asked questions about more details on how it's all working, why it's all working the way it does, all of that type of stuff. Indeed. All right, what else? We, we, got, we got time for one more. For one you more? Want to talk about, you want to talk about Python? We can talk about Python. Python. You were doing such a good job with your flow from one to the next, and then we just completely abandoned all that and said, let's talk about Python. <laughs> but let's talk about Python. I ran out of things, so this will be, <laughs> be our last one. There was my GPO one. We can do that one next time, though. We'll do Python. We'll save that one in the list. So Python, used all over the place in data science land, it's available in your favorite products of choice. Like maybe you've spun up Databricks and you're like, ooh, I'm going to run a notebook over here and get things going and start playing with some pandas data frames and things like that. If you've ever done that on that side and you're like, huh, I really wish I could do this in Excel. <laughs> now you can do pandas data frames and pandas extensions and all the things that come along with that ecosystem within Excel, except you're not really doing it in Excel. And I think this is cool the way they set this one up and get it ready to go. So if you hop over to the latest insider builds of Office, within Excel in public preview now, there is Python functionality. So rather than having a standard Excel function, you can come over and you can run Python functions, which are just using Pandas, which is super cool because there's tons of plugins and other things for like charting and visualization and all that stuff, or running specific types of algorithms on top of your data. Like all that stuff exists in Conda, super easy to pull in. Like that's all supported over here. So if you're a data analyst and you've been pining to have access to data manipulation and working with data frames inside of Excel. I think this is a super cool thing. Just like not only on the data manipulation, but also the visualization front. There's all sorts of other things that go into predictive analytics, modeling, statistics modeling, forecasting, all those kinds of things. 
that now you can also go ahead and run through this engine. And if you're already in the ecosystem, like it should be super easy to come over. Like it's all pandas, it's all conda, anaconda, and that stack. It should all just work, which is cool. The even cooler thing, I think, is how it all just works. Huh. Like, how did they do all this? And how did they bring this functionality down to a local a local Excel client and make it consistent. And the interesting thing is they didn't bring Python down to the client. They brought the data from the client up to the cloud, specifically in the form of a container. So Microsoft is hosting Azure Container Instances that are using pre-built packages from Anaconda that then you can go ahead, like I said, and, and absolutely bring in and inject your own packages into that container. But effectively, Microsoft is running like compute as a service in the cloud in the form of these Python containers that are all stood up and ready to go that your Excel client can talk to. So it can pass data to that container that gets sent out via this specific Python function that's now available in Excel, like it's the Excel function, so Excel, open paren, and then close paren. And it can just return that data in the form of a data frame that can then talk locally inside of Excel. I think all sorts of interesting kind of things to follow up on here. But I'm excited about the Python part of it. Anytime I don't have to go and, and open a notebook and hop over to a specific workspace or anything like that is really nice. I wonder how much customers will latch onto it once they realize that the units of compute that are running things are actually container instances and sitting out there in a hosted on behalf of, managed on behalf of environment within Microsoft land. There is a little bit of an article out of about this functionality. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Data Security in Python in Excel. But it talks specifically about what these Azure Container Instances are, where code runs, and what your Python code has access to and does not have access to. So I think it's important to go and read through that because effectively like now your Excel client is punching out to random place on the internet to go ahead and put data in and out of your Excel notebooks. Yeah, it is interesting that it's doing it all in Azure. So I have a question. I've not done a bunch with Python. I don't do much data science. This is not on my list to go play with. But just from understanding it, is it that the amount of data and the amount of compute that Python would use to crunch this is that it needs something like a container in Azure? Like, why build this to run in, in ACI instead of building this to run locally? Or is it just that there would be so many more requirements on how you'd have to set it up locally? Because, and this came out, I actually had a, a friend of mine that asked this question, because in preview, it's going to be included. But this is another one that after preview, some fun- some functionality, they don't specify what, will be restricted without a paid license. And he was like, I don't want to go learn all of this and set all this up. But while it's in preview, 
only to lose this functionality because I'm not going to get my company to go buy a paid license for me to do it. Once it comes out of preview, why isn't there some way that I can still use Python and Excel, but run it like using my local compute instead of having this dependency on ACI? Or maybe you can already do this all locally if you go set everything up. That was just one of those I was curious about. Not having done a ton with it, I didn't necessarily have a good answer. I think part of it is the ephemeral nature of data science. So if you think about these massive lake houses and data lakes and other things that kind of sit out there today, right. uh, there might be some t- form of like centralized governance that sits on top of that. But quite often you have like disparate communities that are actually working with the data. Like you might have one set of data scientists working with, say, Say you do the medallion architecture, right? You're running everything through like bronze, like raw data, refining to silver, getting it out to gold, blah, blah, blah. Like all that data is meant for different audiences and for different types of analysis. So quite often, while you maintain like the centralized data source, the lake house. Now let's imagine like your Excel file is the centralized data source. Yep. The people who consume that data are different audiences and they're going to go about it in different ways with potentially different tools. So you might spin up like like a Databricks cluster to do some one-off analysis on an already refined data set because you want to go and look at it in a different way or there's a different like statistical model you want to run against it, something like that. So you'll spin that up, you'll create it, you'll do it all, You'll crunch all the numbers, you'll run through it all, and then you'll spin it down because you got the result kind of thing. And I think that ethos of ephemeral analysis that potentially doesn't always need to stick around, plus the ephemeral nature of maybe you're doing one type of analysis and I'm doing it another, and we're going to approach that in different ways with a different set of plugins, all those kinds of different things actually makes a ton of sense with something like container instances, which are also quite ephemeral in their nature, right? Spin them up, spin them down, only use the compute when you need it. And then, hey, the rest of the time I don't need the compute. Let's just ditch it out the side and get rid of it. So I imagine like that's a big component of it is the very nature of some of this stuff is ephemeral. Works end-to-end if you think about it that way. The other one is consistency and availability of these things. Like containers make a great way to spin up packaged environments that are the same for everybody at the beginning. And then they can deviate as needed. But whenever they deviate too far, like they can just reset and come back to baseline and start again, that kind of thing. I think it all comes together and works. It's an interesting way to solve the problem. And I think it opens up the ecosystem to a bunch of new folks. So if you're thinking about it from the context of, oh my gosh, my company is not going to pay for a license for me to do this in Excel, is your company paying for you to have access to Databricks or Synapse or Snowflake or like one of these other one of those other ones analytics platforms? Because if they are, I'm gonna bet that the cost bakes out to be a lot less to run a container instance to run on top of your Excel workbook than it is to spin up an entire unit of compute around even like a single node Databricks cluster. Got it. That makes sense. And I guess the other aspect of it, I was going through the article here too, is they do talk about that it's built for teams. So you can also like store these workbooks in SharePoint, you can put them in 
Microsoft Teams, which is still putting them in SharePoint. Send them via Outlook, which you shouldn't be emailing files via Outlook anyways. But it still has all the comments, the mentions, and then as different people maybe go grab these notebooks, to your point, your Excel workbook is your source of data and maybe different people have different worksheets, all of that, or other people are working with you on the data, they'll be able to open it and not all of a sudden run into my machine isn't set up the same way your machine is from a Python perspective, so it's not working. You just open the workbook, and it sounds like it's there. I'm guessing it just, as soon as someone opens it, it maybe spins up a new ACI instance in the background to be able to do anything with it. They say sensitivity labels work with all of this for protection policies, but this also probably better facilitates the portability of an Excel workbook. I guess I would be curious, does it only call out when it re-renders data? Let's say you have the license for this. You go do a bunch of data analytics around the podcast in Excel. You send it over to me or share it with me, and I don't have a license. Is it just not going to work for me? It'll be interesting to see how that works, too, if you share these with people that are licensed differently for Python and Excel. TBD, we'll see. I haven't seen that one yet. There's a really good video out there. There's this awesome person out there, Layla Garani. She's an Office MVP. Like she's great. She's got a YouTube channel. If you go and you watch like John Savile videos for Azure stuff, like just go watch her videos for Office stuff. Ooh, Excel, Word, OneNote, like stuff like I'm not excited about all the time. But she has an awesome video that walks through this feature i think in a really great way like it takes you through like the baby steps of okay let's bring in our first data frame let's see how a data frame plays over here talks a little bit about what data frames and what they are and let's leave the whole aci thing and like the technology in the background out of it like just here's what python and excel potentially means for you with a nice simple data set I think rather than folks like getting on their jump to conclusions, Matt, and trying to worry about licensing and how it all works in the background, like maybe just go see if the functionality works for you and the functionality works for you and the values there. It's a lot easier to have that conversation about like downstream ROI on, on licensing and all those kinds of things. Because if you get like analysis paralysis in the beginning, I think for something like this, like you're potentially missing out what could be a really cool tool in your toolbox. Right. I wonder if it'll end up being even like a pay-as-you-go type license or you can buy like credits. Thinking back to the whole spin up a container as units of compute, we've seen more of this pay-as-you-go type stuff coming in through some of the syntax stuff that we talked about earlier too. Like I could see this one even being a pay-as-you-go type model based on usage of those instances. So we shall see, but I do. We'll see. It is compute somewhere, right? Like, let's be clear. Like, it is compute that's running. All the other compute things, like you look at like dev boxes and cloud PCs and all this other stuff that runs in the background in Microsoft land. Like, part of the reason that stuff costs money is because it costs Microsoft money to run it. Like, you're literally firing up a server for some period of time. So keep that in mind too about licensing models and things like that. Sometimes the underlying technical implementation has to drive some of that just to get those wonderful cogs back. Yep, but I do like to that point of the portability. It definitely is a better way to do this, I think, from a portability standpoint. So who knows what it will end up being, but definitely some cool features and functionality coming to Excel. And with that, 
we should call it a day. The leaves are still gently waving outside my window with an occasional wild gust or two. But I also have clients pinging me that they have an urgent issue that I should probably go attend to. It happens. All right, cool. Go fire up Spotify, start playing Rocky Like a Hurricane, like a little bit of Scorpions in the morning to get you going, and you'll be all set. Should I play it loud enough that I can go stand in the middle of the street with my flag and brave the hurricane, be the Florida man? (laughs) It was funny. One last story. I had a friend that totally did this the other day. I was on a conference call with him. He's down in Tampa. And he was like, oh, this is a good a good squall coming in. I'm going outside. And he literally like left in the middle of the conference call to go run outside in the middle of the squall. <laughs> and he didn't come back for like 20 minutes. I was like, is he outside like hanging on to a stop sign, blowing sideways? Or But I was like, this is, it's definitely Florida. Yeah, yeah, the definitely Florida. That's our new motto now, definitely. <laughs> definitely Florida. Florida. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scott. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully you are able to maintain power throughout the day today. And we will talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Ben. Yep. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.